Why don't I pray to start us off? Heavenly Father, we, we need your help to understand your word rightly. So we ask that this evening, as we consider Psalm, 9, Psalm 73, uh, that you'd be working in our hearts, making us willing to accept it and make us willing to trust you and believe what it says. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so, so this evening, what I want to do is to actually present you with a problem. It's a problem you're, you're likely to meet. You might have already met it. But it's, if you haven't, I can guarantee that either you or a friend of yours is going to face it sometime. So, so I want you to think about your answer. Okay, here's the problem. Your Christian friend comes to you and says, I'm just not sure being a Christian is worth it. Okay, so, so what would you say? What have you said? Have a think about it. Okay, so have a, th- have a bit of thought. What's at stake here? I, I think there might be two issues, particularly that, that are at play. So I think the first issue is, they're sort of asking, what do you get extra from being a Christian? Uh, there are all these people around who ignore God, and their life seems to go okay. They generally enjoy life, don't they? And even if you think about religious people, well, they don't necessarily follow Jesus, do they? There are Hindus, Muslims, Jews. So how is being a a Christian any better than following those religions? I think that's part of the question. But I, I think there's actually another issue that sits behind it all, isn't there? And the other issue is, being a Christian is hard work. It's... It's just not just whether you get anything extra if you're a Christian. Being a Christian costs. Because God has standards. God wants us to live a particular way. And that means being a Christian involves sacrifice. Following Jesus means denying yourself and, and taking up your cross. Being a Christian means missing out on what everyone else is doing. And sacrifice isn't part of our culture. Just have a look at the current pop charts and you'll see a very different logic. Um, In our society, you can go for everything you can. If you can get something, you should have it. So so here's an example. Um, At the moment, in the top 40 uh, countdown, take 40, top 40, is Cause I Can by the artist Pink. Have a listen to her philosophy on life. My life's a fantasy that you're not smart enough to even dream. My ice is making me freeze. You can try and try. You can't beat me. So I'll cash my checks and place my bets and hope I'll always win. Even if I don't, I know I'm, excuse me, because I live a life of sin. But it's all right. I don't give a damn. I don't play your rules. I make my own. Tonight, I'll do what I want because I can. Yeah. Okay, maybe maybe that last part's a bit better, son. But but can you see what she's saying? She lives by her rules. And her rules are, if she can, then she will. And what's more, the, the only reason you wouldn't is that you're just too dumb. 
You're not even smart enough to dream of how to get what she's got. It's not surprising your friend has doubts, is it? Our culture calls him or her an idiot. Only the truly dense would choose not to take everything they can get. Only the truly dense would make the sacrifices that Christians make. No wonder your friend wonders if it's worth being a Christian. Far out. Are you sure it's worth it? Well, well, the good news is this isn't a new problem. We're going to look at a psalm tonight that asks exactly that question. And we're going to see how this psalm answers that question. Why does the writer think following God is worth it? So Psalm 73 opens with the problem. This is the problem. The wicked are proud and they get away with it. People do the wrong thing and brag about it. The first verse in the psalm is why this is a problem. It's it's a theological statement. It's a rock-solid, theologically correct statement about God. God is good, and particularly he's good to his people. Have a look at verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, that is, God's people, to those who are pure in heart. But that's, that's nothing more than a statement, because the writer's experience is, is totally different. Frankly, he's ready to fall away, to, to give in to envy, because as far as he can see, the wicked are better off. The wicked have it good. Read on from verse 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I, I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And as if he had to persuade us, the writer spells out what he means. For example, if the wicked do things that God hates, why don't they suffer? They they seem to have it better than everyone else. And that makes them arrogant. The the writer even paints a picture of exactly how arrogant the wicked are. It's like they put their mouth in heaven, they have this, this gigantic mouth stuck in heaven, and that way they can just sort of stick out their tongue and just lick up what they want from the earth. They're, they're just that proud, they're, they're just that powerful. So have a read from verse 4. They have no struggles, their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man, they are not plagued by human ills. Therefore pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. And he goes on and he says... The success of the wicked draws a crowd. Everyone wants to be on this, on this winning team. So they, they all join together and mock God. They say, God has no idea. Who would be stupid enough to be on God's team? Read on in verse 10 to 11. Therefore their people, that is the people who follow the wicked, turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, 
How can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? That's the picture of the wicked. The writer sums it up in verse 12. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Face it, says the psalmist. The wicked are proud of their wickedness and they get away with it. And, and what does that mean for the people who try to do the right thing? It makes them feel like they've, they've wasted their time. Just like our hypothetical friend, the do-gooders are disillusioned. See, there seems no point in doing the right thing. Why bother avoiding sin? While the wicked live the good life, the good suffer. Whether they suffer at the hands of the wicked or or simply suffer generally, what matters is they suffer. Because if, if God is good, and if he does good to the pure in heart... Why do do do-gooders suffer? Surely it's just a a waste of time. Have a read from verse 13. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. Look around, says this writer, and what do you see? The, The wicked win. There are people who do evil and get away with it. Far out. They don't just get away with it, they do better than everyone else. Paris Hilton and Britney Spears treat people like dirt and get little more than a rap on the knuckles. And all the while, the people who do the right thing suffer. So so here's one experience that I've had. Uh, When I was studying, I ended up being a student representative. That's the sort of thing you do because you care for people, right? And, and as part of that responsibility, I had to organise a sports day for all the students. Now, I was told I'd have to pay for the food and the, the drinks and, and the hire of the venue when I was organising it, but it's all right, they said, because afterwards you can claim it back from the department. So I went ahead and paid. But it turned out I couldn't get the money back directly. I had to lie. I had to say it was a lunch for international visitors in order to get repaid. Now, all I I needed to do was lie. But I couldn't, could I? Because God hates lying. And so, I ended up carrying the cost of the student lunch. Of course, other student representatives never had that problem, did they? They knew they'd get away with lying. But because I cared, I was the loser. Doesn't it make you want to scream? Haven't you had that experience? Doesn't it just make you want to pack it all in? Well, that's how the writer felt. He was was this close to packing it in. He, He was a hair's breadth from calling evil good and saying God's people were liars. He just couldn't make sense of it. Have a read from verse 15. If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. The do-gooder was disillusioned. He wanted to give up. Okay, so, so what stopped him? 
Why didn't he speak what we all at times feel? Well, apparently he found the answer. The writer says that that in God's presence, in God's temple, it all makes sense. Pick it up at verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Until I entered the sanctuary of God, that's, that's the temple, and then I understood their final destiny. Pretty weird, huh? I'm not sure that walking into this building would make anyone understand the final destiny of the wicked. But, but the temple, I, I guess, the temple's not just any building, is it? Because the temple was God's house. More than that, it was, it was God's house among his people. Our church is just a building so we can meet together. It you know, sort of keeps the rain off. But the temple made this whopping great statement. It said, God is with Israel. God lives among the people of Israel. Israel is God's people. I don't know if you've worked for a multinational business. I've only consulted for them. But it really is interesting to see what people's attitude is when a CEO visits. When the American big boss of this worldwide company comes by and makes time to see your office. It sort of says something, doesn't it? Well, depending on the CEO, but, you know, most of the time it says something. It says you're important. It says he cares about what affects you. So imagine. Imagine if he decided to move office. Imagine if he decided to set up his desk in the same building as yours. Just think of the privilege. Just think of the access. Well, that's, that's like what the temple was for Israel. The God of the universe, the, the God who made the world, decided to set up office down the hall. That, that's pretty important stuff. So entering in the temple was, was a powerful reminder. God is with Israel. Okay. And, and, so, and so what we can see, we, we can see that this changes our writer, that this makes a difference to his perspective. And there's two things that we see happen in the rest of the psalm. First, our writer discovered the wicked are deceived. And then second, the writer discovered the difference between being a do-gooder and being God-loved. So, so let's, let's follow it through. Let's see what happened. So first, our writer realises the wicked are deceived. The, the wicked think they've got the good life, but they're wrong. They're in for a surprise. See, the creator of the universe lives down the road. Any success the wicked has, that's only temporary. God will bring it to an end. This isn't about natural justice. We're not talking about bad karma here. God actively makes sure the wicked do not succeed. So everything from the start of our psalm gets turned upside down. Remember how the writer's feet had almost slipped? Well, Actually, God places the wicked in slippery places. 
And they may not have suffered the burdens of men, but they will face sudden destruction from God. All their boasting will turn out to be as temporary as a dream. All because of God. Read from verse 18. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. So see, this is reality. The wicked can show off all they like. Let them claim God doesn't know, but they're deceived. You can't hide anything from God. God has set the wicked up for a fall. But, but what's surprising is that's not the climax. That's, that's not where this psalm sort of heads to, is it? The writer keeps on going. Because there's something more important. Back in verse 13, he was moaning about the uselessness of being a do-gooder. But but he's realised there's a difference. There's a difference between being a do-gooder and being God-loved. And it's being God-loved that counts. So follow along as he realises this. First, he realises that his reaction was just plain stupid. His feelings were actually wrong. He, he hadn't got it. He was like an animal that can't tell when a human is trying to help it. Have a read from verse 21. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. He was wrong. And yet, and yet God was patient with him. While he was thrashing about like a two-year-old that's missed his nap, God was holding his hand. God was leading him to glory. Keep going from verse 23. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward you will take me into glory. And yet it's not even glory that gets this writer excited. There's something better. There's something, or or rather, someone who is more satisfying than getting glory. And that person is God himself. Because God has been patient with him. God sustains him. Others had decided to join the wicked, but, but God had stopped the writer. God had been his strength. Hear it in his own words. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can you see how his perspective's changed? Before the writer thought that it it was about what he'd been doing, how he'd been trying to do the right thing. And he'd been frustrated because it got him nothing. But now, the writer's focus is on on God. God has been taking care of him. God has glory planned for him. And that's the big difference between man-made religion and God's religion, isn't it? See, with man-made religion, you try to earn points with God. 
You try to, to do enough things to get what you want from God. But someone who is God-loved, they make this discovery. They find out, even though they treat God like dirt, God loves them. God's love chased them. With God, religion is about thankfulness. The only thing you can do is to trust God. And so the psalm actually ends with that difference. It's not the difference we thought it would be. It's not the difference between being wicked and doing good. Now, the difference that matters is faithfulness. The difference is how God's love affects you. The writer compares the wicked who are unfaithful. That's a, that's a word related to adultery. The wicked are like cheating husbands or, or flirtatious wives. He compares the unfaithful wicked with people who enjoy being with God. People who, who love God. They, they love to speak about God. The wicked are destroyed, but God is good to the God loved. Read from verse 27. Those who are far from you, that is God, will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me... It's good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. So, so entering the temple made this, this difference for the writer. He, he realised that the difference between being a do-gooder and being God-loved. But, yeah. but that's a big problem for us, isn't it? It's a problem for two reasons, as far as I can see. It's a problem because the temple was Israel's temple. The temple said God loved Israel. But most of us here tonight aren't Israelites, are we? We're not Jews. So the temple didn't say that God loves us. It said that God loves Israel. And what's more, the temple's destroyed. So it's not even good news for the Israelites. God's moved his office. He's not down the hall anymore. So the Israelites don't have that comfort. The temple can't tell them that God loves them. Which? Which is why Jesus is such good news, isn't it? Because Jesus is our guarantee of God's presence. Jesus is for us what the temple was for the writer. Because in Jesus, God lives with us. Jesus is, is one of us. God didn't just set up office next door. His family moved in. His sons set up house. You can see it in the reading that I've got from John there. There's a couple of verses we're just going to look at. And they're on your outline. So have a look. In John 1.14, John tells us that that. The Word, the one who was with God from the very beginning, well, he became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Can you see how mind-blowing that is? God's Son became one of us. And more than that, he died for us. Does God love you? Well, Jesus died for your sins. 
And this becoming human wasn't temporary. When Jesus was raised to life, he was still human. Even today, Jesus remains a fellow human being. God is with us. God is for us. That's great news. But I need to be careful how I say that, don't I, though? Because not everyone's happy to see Jesus. There's a difference between being human and being God-loved. The people God loves are the people who, who receive him. John said, John said so too. Who are the people God calls his children? It's on your outline in that second verse. Who are loved by God? Well, yet to all who received him, that is received Jesus, to those who believed in Jesus' name, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Just like in this psalm, God's presence isn't good news for everyone. In the psalm, the temple was a reminder that that God would judge the wicked. And when we look at Jesus, it's not just the cross that reminds us that God will judge sin. We realise that Jesus is going to be the judge. Jesus is the person who will judge the wicked. God's presence is... It isn't good news for everyone. Okay, so so now can you see how this psalm applies to us? Jesus is for us what the temple was for Israel. He's better. He's not just a sign of God's presence. In Jesus, God really lives among us. When we know Jesus, we know God is with us. Okay. So, so are you ready to give your answer now to the problem, to the question I gave you at the start? Your friend comes to you and says that they don't think it's worth being a Christian. What will you say? Well, remember the issues we identified. Let's deal with our second issue first. Christianity is hard work. Okay, so, so that's where we need the change of perspective that Psalm 73 gives, isn't it? If God is for us, The wicked won't win forever. Remember, God will not leave sin unpunished. The end will be very different to what we have right now. So so Pink, Pink misses the point. Pink may do what she wants right now, because she can, but she's being short-sighted. If she knew Jesus, she'd know the big picture. If she knew Jesus, maybe what she wants would be a bit different. Maybe she'd see how short-lived her pleasure is. And maybe she'd find far greater pleasure in the glory that God has in store for Jesus and for those who, live, who love him. And, and what about our first issue? Do you get anything extra by being a Christian? Well, the answer is Yes. You get Jesus. You get the rock-solid demonstration that God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, loves you. In Islam, you're told Allah is merciful. But you have no guarantee that he'll forgive the things you do wrong. You have to hope. You have to, to wait and see. But the Christian 
knows God's love. Jesus is one of us. Jesus has died for us. See, I think this really does make a difference for Christians. Christians know a love that no one else knows. Personally, I've had weeks where we're just getting out of bed and making it through the day was a struggle. But I knew, I knew that God loved me. I knew Christ died for me. And that really was what sustained me at those times. There really is a benefit to being a Christian. So what what your friend needs is to be pointed to Jesus. They need to be reminded of, of what it is to know Jesus. Because knowing Jesus is the benefit of being a Christian. Your friend needs to be reminded, gently and appropriately, but they need to be reminded of Jesus. Which is what we need to hear when being a Christian doesn't seem to be worth it, isn't it? We need to hear about Jesus. Because knowing Jesus shows us that being loved by God is worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a privilege to call you that. Thank you for reminding us tonight of our need to know Jesus. Thank you that in him we know your love for us. Thank you that in him we know your plans for us and the whole world. Please, keep us from envying those who care nothing about you. Keep us discovering how good it is to be yours and to be saved by you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.